Hello, and thank you for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. The Teaching Math Teaching Podcast is sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. Your hosts are Dusty Jones, Joel Amadon, and myself, Ava Thanheiser. Today, we're talking with Dr. Kendall Brown, who is the Executive Director at the California Math Project. We're talking to Kendall because of his experience as a mathematics teacher educator, his role at the California Math Project, and because he just co-authored a book with Pamela Seda titled Choosing to See, a Framework for Equity in Math Classroom. Welcome, Kindle, to our podcast. Do you want to take a minute to introduce yourself? Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. Um, so, yeah, my name's Kendall Brown, and, and like your introduction said, I'm currently the executive director of the California Mathematics Project, and we are a statewide network of professional development organizations. We're housed at university campuses, both CSU and UC campuses, and we bring together mathematicians, mathematics educators, and classroom teacher leaders to put on professional and leadership development programs for K-12 teachers across the state. Um, my, uh, you know, professional background, I began my career as a middle and high school math teacher for 13 years in LA Unified School District. Uh, and then I started getting into leadership about nine years into my career, started getting into leadership. And since then have been involved in professional development, teacher education, um, and things of that sort. So that's just a little bit about me. That actually really nicely leads us into this first question, which is how did you start teaching math teachers or how did you start becoming a leader? So about nine years into my teaching career, I was invited to apply to participate in a three week uh, leadership institute with the UCLA Math Project. And so I applied, I was accepted. And that really is where my journey began. Uh, it was during that institute that really focused on building teacher content knowledge, Peter, uh, teacher, uh, improving teacher pedagogy, and then fostering leadership, where I was really given my first opportunities to engage in leadership. Um, I was invited back the following year to work at the Leadership Institute. And then um, I was also... Uh, brought on as a teacher leader for the UCLA math project. I was still a classroom teacher, but they would sub me out and I would go to different schools and put on um, professional development workshops at schools. I started presenting at conferences, both uh, state and uh, local conferences. And um, then a few years later, I took a job in LA Unified School District on a grant that was implementing the, um, this is the 90s, this is mid 90s, mid to late 90s, where we were implementing the NSF um, reform curricula. And so I was a math resource teacher helping, you know, to support teachers in implementing that new curriculum. And then um, I was brought on, uh, I was uh, asked to come on full-time at the UCLA Math Project. And again, I was doing professional development full-time. 
Um, the UCLA Math Project is housed inside the Graduate School of Ed Education and Information Studies at UCLA, which also has a teacher education program. So I started providing field support for teacher math, te secondary math teachers in their teacher education program, uh, then started co-teaching the math content courses for secondary teachers, um, and then eventually became site director for the UCLA Math Project and then got more involved in teacher education as a faculty advisor. So I would supervise master's students and teach the uh, um, master's student seminar course and, and things like that. And uh, then in 2012, I ended up becoming executive director over the entire statewide project. And so uh, since I took over the position of executive director, I haven't been as involved in teacher education directly. I'm no longer a faculty advisor, but still involved in uh, professional development uh, in the state of California. And, you know, also present at, you know, national conferences as well. So. Um. That's quite the story. Um, let's kind of go back to the beginning um, when you started to take on this leadership role. Um, is there something that you would have liked to know when you started or in a different way? What advice would you give to people who are starting down that path? Uh, in terms of a leadership role? Yes. Um, one, you know, find a good mentor. I have had and continue to have wonderful mentors who, you know, uh, I was able to follow and they were able to give me a lot of guidance uh, throughout the process. Also find good colleagues to collaborate with through the process. I think that was also a part of my development is I have a, a cadre of people who not only did I go through the Leadership Institute with, but then in subsequent years, as I worked in the uh, uh, Leadership Institute, the people that I met over the years and that, that we nurtured and cultivated to become teacher leaders over the years. So, um, you know, I think both of those things are really important. Kendall, that's really good advice. Um, I was thinking about this idea of finding a good mentor. And I've, I've been involved in different projects when I was starting out. Um, there was a, uh, a, a mentor, an official mentorship program where people were assigned, someone was assigned to be my mentor. Um, that worked out okay. Uh, but then there were also some other places where I just kind of found someone and started asking them some questions. And I don't know that I actually asked them, will you be my mentor? Um, but I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, when you found a good mentor, was, how, how did that come about? Were you, was this an assignment? Was, uh, was this just kind of serendipity? What, what did that look like for you? And again, it's connected to my work in the UCLA Mathematics Project. The, the woman who was the site director for the UCLA Math Project when I went to the Leadership Institute was one of my early leadership mentors and she continues to be my mentor to this day. Um, and uh, so that was the environment with which I, you know, that I was able to come across that mentor. And then, you know, in graduate school, I also, you know, met quite a few people that, uh, 
you know, I consider mentors as well that help mentor me into, you know, the, the academic arena as well. So, um, you know, those are the th- and then, you know, and I think then there's also there's the reciprocity piece as well, because then, you know, people as I've, you know, come into leadership, there are a lot of people who've reached out to me mm-hmm. uh, to be mentors. And I just feel like it's important to pay it forward as well and to offer that leadership and mentorship to to uh other people, you know, we need to kind of perpetuate this uh, field. And so it's important that we mentor people as well. That's, that's great. Thanks so much. So one question we typically ask is how do you get things done? (laughs) With a lot of help from other people, there is like no way I could do you know, the work of the math project or some of the other projects that I'm involved in, if it wasn't for, you know, having a really strong, um, you know, administrative support staff and then, you know, cadre of people that we're engaged in the same work. And so, you know, the, the way that the math project is organized, there are 19 different individual sites. Each site has a site uh, director. I used to be the site director for the UCLA map project, right? And so, you know, I have a community of um, uh, people to collaborate with within the math project. I'm also one of, in addition to the California mathematics project, there are uh, eight other subject matter projects that all have executive directors. And so we have our community. And so we're able to interact with each other and, you know, give each other support and bounce ideas off of each other as well. So, um, you know, those are the, the ways that I try to get by through, you know, working with other people, you know, I believe in, you know, bringing committees together and having thought partners and thinking things through. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that I get things done. Right. I'm noticing a theme of collaboration throughout your responses. Yeah, I, I just think, you know, I, it, it was interesting because, you know, I came up, you know, in education, you know, in the era of, um, well, I started off when Piaget was really, you know, kind of the big thing. But then as I went back to graduate school, it really, I really, um, was attracted to sociocultural theory, right? Um, and so I just think that people learn within communities of practice. And I think that works for students in a classroom, right? And it also works for, you know, people in work environments. And, and you know, so yeah, it's something I definitely believe in very strongly. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this book that Pamela, Sarah, and you um just published Choosing to See a Framework for Equity in the Math Classroom. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about how this book came to be? So, um, you know, know, one of the things that, you know, as I started my journey uh, in leadership, it was also very much intertwined with issues of access and equity. Um, The... uh, at the time I started in the California Mathematics Project, there was another fund, NSF-funded project in the state called the Equity and Mathematics Education Project that was out of UC Santa Barbara 
uh, that was run by Dr. Julian Weisglass. And so from the very beginning of my, you know, work in, in, in leadership, it was always very much coupled with this whole idea of equity and access and equity and how do we make that real. And I always worked in schools in, in Los Angeles that, you know, were schools that were in neighborhoods that had experienced poverty and other kinds of uh, trauma and, um, you know, with large numbers of students who have been underserved. And so that was always forefront in my mind as I was doing my work. And um, so, you know, in 2000, the NCTM Principles and Standards for School Mathematics was published, and their very first principle was the equity principle. And that followed with uh, uh, NCSM and their prime leadership framework. Again, they um, highlighted equity, you know, but and so, you know, the 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 field is really starting to push this idea of equity. But in terms of outcomes, we still weren't seeing, you know, here's some 20 years later, we're still seeing the same kinds of disparities in terms of outcomes for for students. And so, you know, um, Pam and I have been doing presentations over the years around, you know, equitable teaching practices. And we just felt like there wasn't really a, a resource for math teachers that brought, you know, all of these ideas together. I mean, when you think about language arts, you know, you can have students read the literature of people that represent, you know, the students, uh, uh, in their classrooms, or at least you could prior to some of the more recent, you know, uh, legislative decisions. Mm-hmm. Same thing in, 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 in social sciences, right? You can study the, the, the histories and the backgrounds of the populations of the students that are in your classroom. But I think math teachers are kind of hard pressed to think about how do I actualize equity in a math classroom. And so with, with this book, we wanted to give, um, teachers practical strategies that they could use in their classrooms to make them more equitable. And so I had been approached by a particular publisher um, about writing a book. And so, you know, I started, you know, thinking about it and, and writing down some ideas. And I was looking for a framework that I could use to write my book. And it was right around the time that I met Pam and we started doing presentations together. And so the framework that we're using comes out of her dissertation, her doctoral dissertation. And so I just felt like it was a perfect kind of a marriage. And so I asked if she would co-author the book with me. Then we found the pub. We found a different publisher, um, the current publisher that we have, and um, you know, we. This is what I did during the pandemic. Right? Pam and I, you know, worked on this book together, and you know, uh, we completed it uh, in about seven months, and it came out in April. So, um, you know, that's kind of it in a nutshell. So I have read this book, and I'm using it with my students, and there's these. Um, seven principles that you have include others as experts, be critically conscious, understand your students well, use culturally relevant curricula, assess, activate, and build on prior knowledge, release control, and expect more. And you have a chapter on each of them and you make them come to life with stories. And I was kind of curious, how did you select the stories that went into your book? So, you know, um, one of the things we, we knew that we wanted to use 
stories uh, as part of the book. And so I think Pam and I just first started writing down different stories that we had about our experiences, either as teachers or support providers. And then once we had the stories written down, we said, well, which principle does this story most uh, align with, right? We know some of them might um, represent a couple of the different principles, but which one does it most align with? And then we chose to use that story uh, for that particular chapter. So that's kind of how we went about that. So you, when you said you wrote down stories you wanted to share, what made these stories stories you want to share? Because they represented the different challenges that we faced as teachers around equity or um, that we experienced, again, as, as support providers that... Um, you know, we felt could be good lessons for teachers to kind of build on that gave them examples of these different principles, right? And, you know, we just feel like storytelling is, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, actual tenets, right, of, of, of critical race theory is counter narratives and storytelling, right? And so um, we felt that by telling these stories, it would be something that teachers could relate to, and then they could see how these different principles play themselves out, right? So when you talked earlier um, about your development to become a, a leader that has spanned multiple decades now. Um, we're kind of curious, um, have you seen a change in professional development for math education over your time in the field? Yes, I have. You know, from, I think that, Professional development has changed a lot more from, you know, one shot um, kind of, you know, lectures and presentations to a lot more long term job embedded uh, types of professional development that takes place at the school site. Um, that really includes teachers a lot more in the process. We, uh, over the last several years, I've been doing a lot of lesson study. And, you know, I really feel like that is a powerful professional development practice because it's driven by the teachers. It is focused on their practice, their students, they're designing the lesson that they're going to teach and, you know, so I, I think that's where we're seeing where we would like to see professional development evolve to that, you know, away from these, you know, we bring in some huge nationally known speaker that comes in for, you know, a day or an hour and then leaves and never comes back, uh, as opposed to a lot more deep, you know, study of practice and an ability to, um, you know, try things, experiment, try things out. Uh, collab again, here comes the collaboration word again, where teachers can observe each other teaching, give each other feedback. They can look at student work and then, you know, uh, make uh, instructional decisions based upon, you know, what students know um, and really trying out these equitable teaching practices that we've been promoting over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. So that's where I see it 
you know, evolving too. I mean, I think there's still a place for, you know, the, the conferences and I'm, you know, I'm really happy to be going to some relatively soon because, you know, I think there's something to be said about being in the same space together with uh, people and having that face-to-face interaction. But um, I really think we're seeing the kind of school-based professional development evolve into that more long-term site-based kind of deeper uh, 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 exploration of practice and experimentation. So I'm going to, I think I push a little bit further. Um, so with having all kinds of PD over the years now, and you've done a lot of them, what are some of the key tenants that are central to PD work for those that are most marginalized? You mean professional development for the teachers who are most marginalized or for the teachers of the students who are most marginalized? I meant for the teachers of the students who are most marginalized, but I kind of like your answer to both. Well, again, I think it's really about giving, showing teachers respect. You know, so often you know, as a classroom teacher, you know, professional development is just kind of imposed from above. Um, you know, you have to be here at a certain time and this is what you're going to hear. And so uh, involving teachers in the process, anytime that I write a grant with a school or a district or, you know, get a request from a school to do professional development with their teachers, one of the first things I want to do is meet with the teachers themselves or represent representatives of the teachers to find out what are their concerns? What is it that they want? What is it that they need? Right. So I think that's the most because teachers want to feel important. Um, they want to feel respected. Right. They want to feel like their ideas are uh, being valued. And then it's, you know, also things like um you know, doing it at a time, you know, I know right now it's really challenging to try to get substitutes so you can, you know, give teachers relief during the day just because of the pandemic situation. But, you know, that's one of the things we did as well. We would sub teachers out during the school day so they could be relieved of, you know, their teaching responsibilities in order to do this learning together. Um, Also compensating teachers for their time. Right. I think that's important as well. That also shows teachers that we value. So, I mean, you think about it in the same ways that as we, you know, we talk about um, equitable teaching practices for teachers with students. It's building relationships with students and, you know, getting to know who they are as people. Same kind of thing with teachers. Right. It's respecting them, respecting their expertise. They know their students more than I will ever know. And so I'm relying on their expertise as we're you know, designing and planning lessons together, what they know about their students, right? So it's, I think just the perspective with which you, you know, approach the professional development and, you know, how you, you know, respect teachers, show teachers respect, right? Yeah, and that's exactly your first principle, right? Include others as experts. Um, Coming back to uh, the book, um, how do you see math teacher educators using this book in their courses or in professional development or other settings? 
So, um, you know, I can see it being used in a number of different ways. I know um, several uh, uh, math education professors who are using the book in their uh, math methods courses. And so they're um, reading I don't know if they're, you know, reading, like you uh, said, Eva, a chapter a week and then having a discussion. But I've had my co-author and I have had an opportunity to um, present in a couple of these classrooms and, you know, take questions from uh, the students. So that's one way. Um, I know groups of teachers that are doing book studies, right? So they are um, reading the book and reading a chapter at a time and then coming together um, virtually and having a discussion about the book. Um, I could see uh, the same kind of thing happening at a school site where a, a department decides to read the book. And one of the things that we try, we, you know, we tried to do in each chapter was to put some, you know, activities that could be done in the classroom, as well as uh, some reflection questions. So I could see teachers, you know, reading the reading a chapter, trying some of the activities in the chapter out. Uh, in their classroom and then bringing them to a meeting, bringing student work back to a meeting and having a conversation about, you know, what they noticed and what they wondered about uh, the student responses to the activities. Right. So, you know, and I'm sure there are other creative ways that I'm not thinking about that, you know, people can make use of the book. But those are some of the ideas that I've heard about so far. So I'm self-reflecting right now that I was so enthusiastic to get all my questions in that I didn't really pause and let Joel and Dusty ask questions. So I'm going to do that now. I got I got one for you, Kendall. Is like I'm just wondering with I mean, and I love the way that the book is set up, and I'm loving the um, like you said, just the the things that people can try out and with the stories that people can imagine. Like it, it's not just a bunch of of talk about ideas, but actually like, here's, here's what they look like in practice. Here's actual, you know, context in which it's been put into play. But I also like, you know, where you're like kind of countering some of the, you know, the arguments like that may, possibly someone might have in their head, like, well, but what about this? And so I don't know, do you see that maybe some things in this book, have you had responses from folks where they're like, you know what, I was always looking for a way to you know, in my department meeting or whatever to, to counter some of the arguments I'm hearing against some of these practices. And like, now this has provided me some of that language. Cause like you said, there's lots of expertise within schools, but then sometimes they lack like, you know, the backing of others around them. And so I don't know, have you heard like that, like the people have been using this book as a way, like, Hey, here's, here's why that's important. Here's, here's the, the counter. I don't know. Have you heard any of that? I haven't heard anything like that specifically. Um, and I wish my co-author were here because I know she's been, you know, hearing different things that people have been saying about how they've used the book. But no, I haven't heard it used to kind of defend uh, uh, a position about something as of yet. I, I, you know, but I'd love to, you know, find out about something like that. Which is even like, I mean, just just, you know, looking through some of the chapters and, and seeing like the examples that are, I mean, some, when I'll talk about doing things in classrooms, like for my pre-service teachers, you know, just trying to think like, okay, here's why that that's important to do. And someone like might have an idea about, Hey, this is why I want to do this practice or something like that, but they might not have the back. And so I think this book is an awesome resource for, you know, these um, ways that you've said to 
put things into play in their classrooms. It's, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's a great, yeah. it's a great text. Yeah, no, um, thank you. I appreciate that. And, and I'm hoping, you know, that's the case, but you know, we're just in such a interesting political time right now um, that, you know, I would, you know, I, I'm hoping that people, it, it wouldn't be used against someone. I mean, I heard where in, you know, the state of Virginia, they banned the book Beloved by Toni Morrison, right? And, oh my God. Um, and so I'm, that, that's also on my mind as well, because, you know, there, I've been seeing some of these memes on Facebook where they're saying, you know, it's critical race theory if you talk about equity or diversity or, right? And so, right. Uh, it's just it's it's interesting. So I'm hoping that teachers are able to use it um, and are not, you know, in any way, um, you know, penalized. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, promoting equity in these crazy political times, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kendall, I just want to go back to uh, just make a comment. I guess this isn't really a question, but I really like the way that. Uh, that you guys tried to fill a, a gap in uh, for teachers of mathematics in particular, uh, you know, the different ways you mentioned English or social studies teachers might be able to include voices that, that those, that their students could see themselves in, in the content area. Um, I, I know those things exist um, in mathematics. I'm, I'm glad that you've collected some ways um, and helped maybe promote and like, like the title is of your book, choosing to see, um, teachers can choose to see some of these ways and implement the principles that you guys talk about in there. I think it's very helpful. So thanks. Thanks for doing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. So to round um, out, we usually ask um, our guests if there's anything to promote. And clearly we have the book, but I've also attended um, a workshop that Pamela and you put on, and I'm wondering if there's any upcoming workshops that you might want to promote or anything else. So, yes, I'm going to be, uh, Pam and I are doing a podcast for Totos this evening at 4 p.m. Pacific time and 7 p.m. Eastern time. And if you go to totosmathematics.org, you should be able to find information about that. Um, I'm going to be doing a presentation at the upcoming California Mathematics Council Southern Section Conference on, I think that's Friday, November 4th, I think. Um, And then also at the California Mathematics Council Conference Northern Section, I'm also doing a keynote presentation, and that's like Sunday, December 6th, I believe. I'm getting these dates mixed up. But if you go to cmc-math.org, you can find out more about those presentations as well. Well, thank you so much for um, coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this discussion. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks for writing the book too. I mean, like, I just think about the, how amazing books are. Like, for twenty bucks, I'm thinking about how much like information is packed into a, this book, and so it's it's pretty amazing. So, thanks to you and Pamela for uh, putting it together. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks again for listening to the Teaching Math Teaching Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. 
We hope that you're able to implement something that you heard and take an opportunity to interact with other math teacher educators. Speaking of interacting, what do you want to hear about in upcoming podcasts? What do you want to hear from? Who do you want to hear from? Let us know through the virtual suggestion box. Find it at the contact us page at teachingmathteachingpodcast.com or in the show notes for this episode.